Good morning, friends, and welcome to our third Sunday in this preaching series called Invitations. So wherever you are this morning, I'd like to invite you to turn to 1 John. We're going to be reading chapter 2, beginning at verse 1 through 6. And this uh, Invitations preaching series is going to walk us all the way through all these three letters of John. So today, John chapter 2 beginning at verse 1, and I'm reading from the Common English Bible. My little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you don't sin. But if you do sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is God's way of dealing with our sins, not only ours, but the sins of the whole world. This is how we know that we know him, if we keep his commandments. The one who claims I know him while not keeping his commandments is a liar. And the truth is not in this person. But the love of God is truly perfected in whoever keeps his word. This is how we know we are in him. The one who claims to remain in him ought to live in the same way as he lived. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. How many of you are Patty Griffin fans out there? Go ahead and raise your hands. You know I can't see you, right? I, I hope you know that. That's why you get to sit there in your pajamas and I have to dress up. But I hope there are some of you that are Patty Griffin fans. If you don't know Patty Griffin, she's an American folk singer-songwriter. Patty Griffin was raised in a religious family. And although she doesn't really claim religion today... There's some way in which religion got into her bones. And many of her songs capture deep theological truths. This morning I wanted to begin by reading you a few of the lyrics from her song called Forgiveness. Here's Patty Griffin, Forgiveness. We're all swimming with the snakes at the bottom of the well. So silent and peaceful in the darkness where we fell. But we are not snakes, and what's more, we never will be. And if we stay swimming here forever, we will never be free. I heard them ringing the bells in heaven and hell. They got a secret they're getting ready to tell. It's fallen from the sky. It's calling from the graves. Open your eyes, boy. I think we are saved. Open your eyes, girl. I think we are saved. Let's take a walk on the bridge right over this mess. Don't need to tell me a thing, baby. We've already confessed. And I raise my voice to the air. And we are blessed. It's hard to give. And it's hard to get. But everybody needs a little forgiveness. Everybody needs a little forgiveness. I'm not sure if there's any truer words that have ever been spoken or written or sung about that everybody, everyone needs a little forgiveness. But some of us struggle with forgiveness, don't we? Some of us are haunted by the sins of our past. We can't believe what we've done. We, we can't believe how we've hurt the people we have loved by things we have done and by things we haven't done. We can't believe there's any way they would ever forgive us or that God would ever forgive us. And even if the other and God would forgive us, we're not sure that we could ever forgive 
ourselves. Everybody needs a little forgiveness, even those of us haunted by the ghosts of our shame. But for some of us, we're haunted by the sins that we know are sins that we keep engaging in. In this scenario, it's not so much like a ghost that haunts us. It's more like a little imp who sits on our shoulder and and tempts us to engage in something. And then when we do, immediately condemns us. And then returns the ghosts of our shame. Everybody needs a little forgiveness. For some others of us, though, the problem is not so much what we have done. But it's really what's been done to us. You see, sometimes we're treated so poorly. We're, we're treated hurtfully. We're, we're treated in damaged ways. We're, we're treated like we're less than enough. We, we are felt to, we are, are caused to feel shame that over time we begin to internalize these stories and we get, begin to believe them. We begin to believe that I'm the problematic one. I'm the one with the issues. I'm the, the damaged one. I'm the one that goes around hurt, hurting people. In some ways, the source of all the problems is me. I'm the sin. We hear this all the time in children who have been abused by parents who blame themselves. We've seen it historically in women and in racial minorities who have heard for so long that they're less than or treated like less than that they begin to internalize that story and engage in a kind of internalized sexism and racism. We need to break free from these stories. We need to break free from the oppression and the oppressors who tell us this story. We need to reject this false guilt and shame. Yeah, everybody needs a little forgiveness. But friends, there's good news. As Patty says, we've already been saved. Now, that may sound crazy, but Patty's saying something that the great reformers of the church have been saying for centuries. There's nothing that you can do to obtain forgiveness. There's nothing you can do to deserve forgiveness. God, in Christ Jesus, by the power of the Holy Spirit, gives forgiveness to you as a free gift. I wish that you could hear this story, some of you today. I wish you could hear this story about the one who's an advocate. Listen to John again. He says, my little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you don't sin. But if you do sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is God's way of dealing with our sins, not only ours, but the sins of the whole world. Yeah, everybody needs a little forgiveness. And John tells us, you've got it. And this is quite amazing because we have to remember that John is writing to a church that is in conflict, a church that has had schisms, a church where groups have separated from one another based on what they think about and how they understand Jesus. And because they think and understand differently, they live their lives in the world differently. Can you imagine? And yet John tells us, that forgiveness is available to us. Some of you today, I, I wish you could hear this word of forgiveness. 
In the same sort of care that we hear when John uses this phrase, my little children. In my role as a pastor, and especially as a psychologist and therapist, I've had the honor of working with a number of people who've been haunted by the shame of their sin. Who've been haunted by the internalization of stories that have told them that they're the bad one, that they're the wrong one, that they're the source of the problem. And what these individuals begin to do over time is they don't just feel guilty, but they begin to berate themselves. They begin to condemn themselves. They begin to beat themselves up. It's painful to watch. I imagine some of you have friends and family who you've watched do the same thing. At some point in our work, I almost inevitably stop them and ask a question. If you heard a little child speaking about themselves the way you're speaking about yourself, what would you say to that little child? Suddenly, something breaks open. And this adult who's felt condemned, who, have, who has beaten himself up, who, have, who has internalized that they're the source of the problem or, or could never imagine that they could truly receive forgiveness, suddenly they're full of grace and forgiveness for this little child that they imagine in front of them. For some of you, I wish you could, you could have a conversation. You could imagine a conversation with the Lord where you, you start out with a confession of sin. You say, Lord, I've sinned. And the Lord breaks right in and says, yeah, I know. It's okay. I got this. No, but Lord, you don't understand the kind of pain that I've inflicted. No, 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 says the Lord. Yeah, I do know, in fact. I got this. You're forgiven. But God, you don't realize, like, I'm really the problem. I'm really the source of all this. No, 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 no says the Lord. Don't speak of a child of mine that way. I see you. I know you. And I forgive you. Sometimes those of us who feel like we are the source of the problem need someone to come along and tell us that we in fact are not to blame. Sometimes I've wondered if it's hard for us in the church to accept this idea of forgiveness because we have kind of a wacky understanding of the word repentance. For me, growing up, repentance was always connected with doing it right. It had to be emotional. And I had to feel bad enough or there was no way that was God was going to forgive me, right? So I need to come to the altar with shame and guilt and, and, and I have to feel bad enough and then somehow in God's grace, God would forgive me. But this idea of feeling bad enough, it's really not consistent with the overall message of Scripture. In the Old Testament, as many of you know, the word repentance is really related to this concept of turning. Turning from, which implies turning towards something else. For the Israelites, this turning from and turning towards would have captured this idea of being in exile in Babylon. And that they were being called to turn from Babylon and to come home. To turn towards their true home in Yahweh. You see, that's what repentance is about, friends. It's, it's not about feeling bad enough. It's not about beating yourself over and over until somehow you get God to feel bad enough for you and God forgives you. It's simply a turning away from the Babylons in our lives and turning toward our true home in Jesus Christ. 
In the New Testament, this idea of repentance and turning continues to find a voice there. But there's also something else really interesting in the New Testament. The Greek root of the word for repentance means something like this. To go beyond the mind that we have. I'll say that again. To go beyond the mind that we have. Now, What in the world could that possibly be or mean? Well, we all have minds, don't we? We all have worldviews, if you will, that have been shaped and formed by the context in which we've grown up, the world in which we've lived, and even now in, in the kind of context that we continue to put ourselves in. And we develop these minds, we develop these worldviews, we develop these ways of seeing things. And over time, for some of us, those minds can become concrete and rigid and hard to the point that we can only see what we already believe in. We can't see anything different, anything new. But in fact, this idea of to go beyond the mind that we have is really to see in a new way. It's to see a world shaped by God known decisively in Jesus. To go beyond your mind, friends, is to change your mind. And this is repentance it reminds us, doesn't it, of when Pastor Paul writes about being transformed by the renewing of your what? Your mind. Go beyond the one you have, Paul says, to find the mind of Christ. Now it is Father's Day, and I too want to wish you a happy Father's Day. And I have a special shout out for my dad. Happy Father's Day, Dad. I'm assuming he's watching right now. I'll never forget a particular interaction with my own father. I may have told it here before, but it's worth telling again. It was after my father had actually retired. He was somewhere in his 70s. And we were having a conversation. And dad, I can't even remember exactly what the conversation was about. But I do know it was a theological conundrum. You were struggling with something that you had always thought most of your 70 years. And suddenly, you were starting to think differently. And I'll never forget you said to me something like this. I'm not sure, but maybe God's trying to change my mind. Thanks, Dad, for that kind of model, that kind of example. That no matter what age we are, if we open ourselves up to the power of the Holy Spirit, we might just find that we need to change that we need to go beyond the mind that we have. I only hope that my sons could say that about me someday when I'm clear into my 70s or 150, which is what I plan to live till. But this changing of our minds, friends, it's the hardest part of repentance. I mean, it's essentially to admit that we're wrong, isn't it? And no one likes to be wrong because it makes us feel ashamed, it makes us feel guilty, and we know because we start to get real defensive. It's almost as if some of us would rather not be forgiven than to deal with the pain of admitting that we're wrong. And I think we see this all the time. We see it in marriages where husband and wife refuse to admit they're wrong, refuse to repent, and they stay locked into a relationship of unforgiveness. We see it with parents and children, parents and adult children, 
We see it in work situations. We see it in the church. We see it in so many different places. And I think in some ways, this inability to admit we're wrong, to go beyond the mind that we have, to be open to the changing work of the Holy Spirit may even be at work in some of the conflict we see around racial reconciliation today. Well, I think this understanding of repentance, not as something we have to do to be forgiven, really, because God has already forgiven us, but we repent because we need to acknowledge that, in fact, we are sinners, that, in fact, we do need to turn away from the Babylons in our lives, and we do need, in fact, to change our minds about some things I think because of those understandings of the word repentance is why I really like the Common English Bible. I like the Common English Bible because it recognized that wherever the word repentance is, you have to translate it with more than one English word. So wherever you see repentance in a typical Bible, in the Common English Bible, you'll hear this, to change one's heart and one's life. To change one's heart, the center, the mind. To go beyond the mind that we have and to change one's life. That is to turn from the Babylons in our lives and turn toward our true home in Jesus Christ. That's forgiveness. And that's repentance. And everybody needs a little forgiveness. Friends, today, some of you, if you could get that, if you could really make that part of your story, if it could be like deep in your bones that you have been forgiven, I think it could change everything. It changes not only how you see yourself in relationship to God, but to one another, to the enemy, to the neighbor. It could change everything if you could truly know that you've been forgiven. Well, John doesn't quite end there. In the passage we read for today, John goes on to say this very provocative phrase. The one who claims to know him or the one who claims to remain in him, that is Jesus, should live like him. I mean, at the very least, John must be thinking about forgiveness because he's just talked about it. And he must be thinking about forgiveness because he's writing to a group of people where there is schism, and, 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 and the theme of the book is really unity with God and unity with one another. To live like Jesus did, the forgiver, is to become a forgiver. Everybody needs a little forgiveness. It's hard to get, and it's hard to give. But if we are to claim that we remain in him and not to make God a liar, we need to become forgivers ourselves. I don't know, about a week or so ago, I came across this wonderful phrase in a spiritual writer's book I was reading. And it said that it, it asked the Lord to keep us open to our duty to delight. Duty to delight, our responsibility, our calling, our, 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 the expectation that somehow we as followers of Jesus will find a way to delight 
not just in our relationship with God, but in God's creation and what God is doing in the world, what God is up to, we can delight. And if you begin to practice delight, I promise you'll start to see it everywhere. Oh, we love to think about, we see delight or we hear it in the, the laughter of children, right? That's an easy one. Some of us find delight in nature. There's a, a bush in my yard that I thought was never going to bloom and it bloomed this year. There's just one flower, but it counts. It's delightful. Or delighting in a perfect 70 degree Southern California day. Or to delight in the relationship between two people that is self-giving, that is open and forgiving. That's a delight, isn't it? But sometimes delights are kind of funny too. One of my delights, and I hate to admit this, is that I delight whenever I get something for free. You know what I mean? Nothing shoots the dopamine receptors in my brain, the pleasure centers in my brain, than to see that phrase, no payment, free of charge. It kind of makes me think about going out to a fancy restaurant. You know, those restaurants that you only go to about once a year. It's a little bit too much money and you, you don't typically want to spend that. It's not quite in the budget, but you go there for special occasions. It could be anniversary, it could be a birthday, it could be someone's coming to town, someone's leaving town. And you go and you expect and you know this is going to be amazing. And you order and they bring you the food and it's just, it smells beautiful and the presentation is unbelievable. And the waiter is like went to waiter college or something, right? They, he or she knows exactly how to be a great waiter. And you begin to cut into your steak. Sorry for those of you that are vegan. You cut into your steak and then you realize... Rats, the steak's just a little pinker than you like it to be. I mean, it smells wonderful and you could eat it. And you don't want to be that person, right, who sends stuff back. Because you don't know what they're going to do back there in the kitchen when you send something back, right? But you decide that, well, maybe it's okay. I mean, I, I am spending a lot here and, and I'm not trying to be a jerk. I, I just want to have the best experience I can have. And so you call the waiter over and the waiter emerges out of nowhere as good waiters do. And they say, how can I help you? And you say, look, I'm really sorry. I, I mean, I don't want to be that guy. I hate to complain, but my steak is just a little pinker than I like it to be. Don't say anything more, sir, says the waiter and grabs your plate and runs off to the kitchen. And before you can even get very far into the sides that you've ordered, suddenly your steak returns, cooked to perfection. Oh, and you eat that steak and you think to yourself, this is butter. I've never tasted anything like this. Worth every penny. And then toward the end of the meal, the manager of the restaurant comes over. And the manager says, sir, I understand that your steak wasn't prepared correctly. Oh, no, 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 that, that's okay. You say, you see, the waiter, who was fantastic, by the way, took it and got it cooked, and, and kudos to the kitchen. It was perfect when it came back. I loved it. It was delicious. No need to apologize. No, no, sir. I don't want to be that kind of restaurant. I want to be a restaurant where we get it right the first time. So I want to let you know that tonight your meal is free of charge. <clears throat> Friends, 
You've been given something free of charge. The forgiveness of Jesus Christ. And because you've received it freely, you can give it away for free. Because, my friends, there's always more from where that came from.